Welcome back to Everyday Disciples, the show where we strive to follow Jesus wherever we are. I'm Adam, one of the producers and editor of this podcast, and I am grateful you chose to spend your time and attention here. To launch season three, the team has chosen the sensitive yet timely topic of abortion and reproductive rights in light of the recent Supreme Court's rulings. Listen as Pastor Matthew, Lori, Stephanie, and Aiden share their hearts, minds, and wisdom on this difficult topic. Be blessed. Well, I'm sitting here today with uh, Stephanie and Lori and Aiden uh, to talk about a, uh, a hot topic uh, the last, what, month or so here uh, since the Supreme Court reversed the Roe versus Wade decision. We thought we would uh, wrestle with that a, mi- a bit. You know, as everyday disciples, this is something that uh, we get to we get to figure out how to live in this world uh, in this way. And so we want to have a little kind of kind of conversation. How do we as disciples uh, respond to this sort of thing? Do we celebrate? Do we uh, mourn? What's the what's the reaction? I know, you know, watching my own social media feeds, there was quite a diversity of reactions to that day. And uh, I'm sure we'll have some different uh, ideas around this table as well. But how about we first start just by kind of looking at, you know, where how we got here? Where did this all come from? Back in 1973, Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court decision ruled that it was implicit in the 14th Amendment's right to privacy. Um, that ruled that a woman's ability to choose was paramount. Um, and though privacy was not explicitly mentioned in the Constitution, it was backed by the Ninth Amendment, um, which indicated that rights not explicitly mentioned are not to be denied by default. And the ruling was based on a balance of interest between protecting fetal life with a woman's right to privacy. Um, and in the authorship of Roe versus Wade, Justice Harry Blackman viewed Roe v. Wade as a compromise, um, but the decision did force 46 of the 50 states to rewrite their abortion laws, so a compromise didn't really seem like that was necessarily true. So between 1973 and 1992, we saw a number of Christian denominations, including the Southern Baptist Convention, the Assemblies of God, and the Presbyterian Church in America to pass pro-life resolutions. Um, You see the rise of the pro-traditional family, the moral majority, and a lot of abortion clinics on their heels suing states for abortion rights. Um, That all led to the 1992 Supreme Court case, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which almost overturned Roe, um, but at a five to four vote, they decided on a compromise, which made states have a little bit more ability, states' rights to regulate abortion rights. um, But that also more or less reaffirmed uh, the initial decision from Roe in 1973. And this all led up to just about a month ago, um, Dobbs versus Jackson, where Roe and Casey were both overturned on the basis of faulty legal foundations, um, and it gave states legal authority to create and implement abortion laws. So the decision does not criminalize abortion, um, but it does send the regulation to the states to therefore make the decision for themselves. Well, thanks for that historical recap, Aiden. Um, I know, you know, just kind of in the the immediate days after that uh, Supreme Court decision, kind of watching my own social media feeds and things like saw just a, a wide variety of reaction uh, from people of all different religious and political stripes, uh, some celebrating, some uh, you know, deep sorrow over what was happening. And what did you guys kind of see just from the kind of the culture at large? 
as if we needed something else to fight about. I guess COVID wasn't enough. So I think it just became a divisive topic. Um, something I just saw on social media. I know our kids talked about it a lot. It was blowing up on TikTok. It was blowing up on their feeds as well. Um, people fighting. Uh, and again, not, I, I guess, even our Christian friends, just not necessarily doing it in what would be the most Christ-like manner. So lots of memes of my body, my choice, but you didn't say that when it was the vaccines were going back and forth. Um, it's your body, my choice, or it's my body, my choice. Well, it's a baby. Um, you even saw comics, um, comedians, things were doing different takes on the recent things as well. So I think you just saw it just open up some wounds. And I think what the problem with that is then it doesn't really leave room when you do those things on social media to have open discussions with someone who may view differently than you. So I care about a baby's life. Well, do you care about gun control and the children who just died in a shooting? Do you care about, you know, other aspects of life, too? And those are those discussions that I think um, happen a lot on social media. I certainly got kind of the res- the uh, impression from some folks that, uh, on on the pro um, pro life side of things, that like, well, now we're done, we won, you know, it's over. So our our work here is done. We can focus on the next thing, focus on something else. And it's yeah, um, I don't, I'm not sure that's the right reaction to have either in that moment. And by work meaning done, does that mean that you're going to help them, the single moms who need rides to appointments, who are choosing to keep their baby, who might need financial resources, um, you know, by saying, I'm done, are you going to volunteer and donate at local pregnancy centers and help those? It's easy to say, I'm pro-life. And then I think Jesus would call us to do more than that and to be a Christian community where a single mom who finds a pregnancy test knows I can go to any local church and they will help me immediately. I think on my end of things, seeing the um, social media reaction for, I mean, the younger generation, so millennials and Gen Z, um, the the response was, I think, much more vocal from the pro-choice side who were much, much angrier in the aftermath. I saw very little, if any, response from those who were pro-life and who said anything at all. and a lot of that has to do with the backlash that you would have received had you did say anything. Um, just because this generation that you know, I'm a part of and that I love and that I get to work with with our high schoolers, um, there are certain things that you can kind of feel you can cannot vocalize with how you feel and what you believe. So even if you are pro-life across the spectrum for a number of reasons, you need to be able to back up and really fight against people kind of pressuring the other way. Um, and so I really didn't see much positive response um, on my social media channels. Now, at the same time, there's a lot of good social media does, and there have been a lot of good conversations that have come out of it. But at the same time, um, I think, sadly, that's few and far between because of the reaction Lori was talking about, that a lot of people who were celebrating were doing so maybe in not the most Christ-like and humble and loving ways. And it, it's hard when... Um, you know, you, you see people say, well, this is happening now. Like, what's the next thing that's going to be taken? And everybody is kind of, I saw a lot of people posting pictures of like the Handmaid's Tale and being like, this is the future. And it's, you know, you, you want to have a lot of grace and compassion for, for people in, you know, the, the hurt that they're experiencing in the ways that maybe things did not go the way they anticipated or hoped. Um, 
and there, yeah, there's a lot of compassion and a lack of it that we need to kind of rediscover if we're going to handle this issue very gently and gracefully, but also in a way that is glorifying to God. I'd have to agree with Aiden. I think in my feeds a lot, what I saw was just fear, just a lot of fear um, from young women of, you know, what will that mean for me? And um, just even from a political standpoint, I know um, like even the LGBTQ community, you know, if this is the way we're going now, will our rights be taken away and now will we not be allowed to marry? And just that whole fear of um, what a a cultural shift this might take. Um, And I think that it's important for us as Christians. I mean, the Bible tells us 365 times, do not fear, right? That's our call is not to fear. And so how can we speak into um, this topic with people so that they don't have to have fear in, okay, if I have an unwanted pregnancy, now what? I have a fear of what's going to happen to me after this. And um, I think that's what I saw was just fear and anger over what will happen to me now. And that, and that fear that Stephanie mentioned is kind of well-founded, especially if you look at the state responses to um, the decision of Dobbs v. Jackson, um, especially with the trigger laws. So some uh, states had trigger laws activated immediately following the Supreme Court decision um, where immediately abortion was banned across the board. Um, Some or others, after a set period of time, it would be banned, and then others have a pre-row ban that maybe came back into effect. Um, Now, a lot of, or not not a lot, but some of those states where abortion is now banned does not even include exceptions for rape and incest. And that's a whole other topic of conversation that I think we need to be having. Um, And like a lot of other topics, this is not a black and white issue. There's a lot of gray area. And a lot of states, I think, are doing a good job of protecting um, the mothers if if their pregnancy is endangering their lives. But again, it's not across the board. So then how are we having those kinds of conversations? How are we then trying to enact change so that life is truly being protected both for um, the fetus, for the baby, but also for the mothers as well? Um, Because that that is a fearful thing. It is really scary for a woman to feel like if she is pregnant and something goes wrong, will she be protected um, at all costs? Now, abortion, I should say, is still legal and is likely to be protected in 19 states. And it is still legal for now in an additional eight states, including Michigan, where we live. So there are still 27 states in the United States, more than half where abortion is currently legal. Um, like you said, Matt, like there was no like final victory, I think, in this. I think there's a lot more that still has to be done on a political level, a judicial level, and especially how can we, the church, the body of Christ, how can we go and do kingdom work in response to all of that has happened um, because the fight is not over. We are still... We are still trying to do kingdom work and really bring the love of Jesus to so many people, including those who are, are really, really struggling with the results and with the, the ruling of, of Dobbs v. Jackson. Yeah, I think we're, we're kidding ourselves if we think that this is over. You know, it's just it's moved the decision back to the states, which I think is appropriate. But it's, I, I think it's a matter of time before most if not all states go to legalizing it within the states so um the the struggle between the pro-life and the pro-choice side of things this is not going anywhere and certainly for us on the the pro-life side of things you know this now is not the time to spike the ball in the end zone and celebrate a victory um i think it's the time for well it's always the time for humility in 
in our responses to these things and recognizing that we're not perfect either um, and that this is not just a very simple one faceted debate. I thought it was interesting when Stephanie talked about fear and Aiden talking about uh, how he didn't really see much on his social media with the younger generation. I think they they fear as well speaking against abortion and that's what you talked about too and so I think that's a thing that is a struggle for them um, and something as a Christian community how can we help that too if you feel strongly against abortion then what what can you do with that as well how can you be an advocate for that not just saying I'm against abortion you're murdering babies but what can you do with that and I think that's just something from a church body. Do we really walk through the younger generations on some of these topics regarding their feelings either way and how we could help more with that? Because I think they're struggling either if you're for abortion or against abortion and then what to do with that besides just going to social media. I mean, we see Jesus and the Great Commission he gives to the disciples in Matthew. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. He doesn't say, you know, now that... I've come back and you were right like to follow me. Um, the response now is not to gloat and to revel in the victory. The response is to go, to go and make disciples. And that's going to be done in many different ways, but it, it is time for the church really to kind of prove that we are pro-life in a number of different ways and, and stand for how are we advocating for the lives of our fellow image bearers in every possible realm. So the cultural response has kind of been, you know, all over the map um, to this uh, this reversal of, of Roe. But, um, you know, the one thing that, you know, as we kind of look at, at this reversal, um, it was very much, a, you know, a legal move. Um, when you look through the documents about it, um, it was really kind of correcting maybe a misstep of the court back in the 70s to, to move this to the states. But it really doesn't directly address the morality of abortion, um, which is something I think that's, that's worth talking about, uh, especially you know, for us as, as Christians, as disciples. I think when you look at this topic from an ethical standpoint, it's super hard and it's um, not necessarily as black and white as we want it to be. So um, just to give a little personal history for myself, um, I was born in 1971 and I am adopted. So had uh, the Roe v. Wade happened a little sooner, um, you know, I think of it from the standpoint of I might not be here. My birth mom could have made a different choice. Um, so you think of it from that point of view. And then fast forward, you know, several years into my life, I could come at it from um, the other point of view. I'm more, um, so obviously i pro-life, you know, I wouldn't be here had it not been for um, my birth mother's bravery. Um, but then, uh, fast forward a few years, I was um, a victim of a, what, of rape, um, so sexually um, abusive situation. And um, I remember laying in bed at night thinking, if I got pregnant, um, what would I do? And my choice at, at that time in my life as a high schooler was um, I would just kill myself because I couldn't... Um, morally just kill the child. So I would have to just kill us both. Um, and please, I'm not advocating for that. That was not the right choice either. But um, I think when you talk about the ethics and morality, you can't just think it's wrong to kill a baby and not think about um, what the mother is going through emotionally either. 
Um, and so the whole my body, my choice comes uh, something very different because um, it is a woman's body. They do have to go through nine months of changes and difficulty and um, emotional, physical, all sorts of different things, not, not to mention if they don't have support at home, if they don't have the finances, um, all of those things that go into it. But then um, the discussion of when is that baby a baby and we know scientifically it's from the moment of conception so um, the baby can use that my body my choice as well so except the baby doesn't get a choice because it has no voice at that point and so um, I think that puts us in the weeds ethically on on how to how to talk about this topic so thanks for sharing that Stephanie um, that's that's quite a quite a part of your story that I didn't know before this uh, um, you bring a unique perspective to the the situation, and you know I know the the ethics of the pro life pro choice debate are complicated. Um, you know I'm sure we've all had uh, different interactions with that, encounters with the the ethical dilemmas that we're faced with that. Um, you know, what what other kind of things have we seen? I think we need to look really closely at the heart of the issue. I think we've established really well that this is definitely a gray area conversation, just like a lot of things are. Um, but what is at the heart of a, of a woman's decision to get an abortion? Um, we know, I mean, especially those of us who are parents, I'm not, but we know how expensive it is to have a child, raise a child, um, and all of the financial burdens that come with, yes, an, a beautiful life, um, there's also the situations in which there's a lack of support or a lack of ability to raise a child in a, in a healthy and conducive environment. There is a, a lack in some places of just full transparency, like people who don't feel like they're fit to be parents um, because they don't feel like they have been either prepared to do so or they don't feel like their current condition allows them to do that to the best of their ability um, in a way that they would want that child to have a good life. We also have the very sad and, and traumatic experiences like rape and incest and what the um, just what the outcome of that full term could be and, and having to raise that child when it brings back such painful and just harmful memories for the mother. I think another issue with people, too, I know I've had friends say, um, a couple of my friends, too, that, you know, are you having a boy or a girl? And the response would be, I don't care as long as it's healthy. Um, and then we've had friends who actually have given birth to babies knowing that they are not healthy. And that opens up a whole other um, discussion regarding abortion. And I feel like the pressure from society, pressure even within certain families, um, to have a healthy child. And if your child, uh, with all the medical advancements we have now, you can find out very quickly and very early in your pregnancy um, if there are certain health um, conditions affecting your child. And many people are pressured or, or at least given the opportunity repeatedly um, in discussions with their doctors and discussions with their family members, even discussions with their spouses, you know, 
do you want to continue with this pregnancy because you're not having a healthy child? Will your child be able to have a good life? What will happen to your child when when you're gone? Um, those questions too. And I feel like that opens up a whole other <laughs> uh, discussion because if you've ever met um, many children with disabilities, um, to say they aren't fearfully and wonderfully made, to say that God didn't design them that way, to say that they don't add so much life and beauty, I can think of of many kids, I'll tear up even thinking about just how special and beautiful they are. And I think we need to talk about that more too, that girl, boy, healthy, you know, like this is the child and how we can walk through that too. Well, to me, it kind of, uh, it speaks to just more of a broader, uh, what trend in our culture that like, if it's hard, I don't want to do it. And, and so, well, you know, if you're going to have a child with, some sort of disability, it's going to be hard. So let's just, you know, pass on that. Well, no, I mean, sometimes hard things are worth doing. There is joy that comes from doing the difficult thing. Um, that's a lot of what the Christian walk is. It's taking up our cross. Um, it's not the the easy road that Christ invites us to follow him on. Um, I, I think for, for you know, a lot of these arguments, the uh, for, for the Christian... Coming from a biblical worldview, I mean, the Bible is very clear. Life and death are God's domain. We, it's, not, it's not for us to make that decision of um, who gets to live, who gets to die. That's up to God. Um, when those things happen, that's him. Um, now, certainly he gives us tools for, you know, when couples are trying to conceive um, and, and are unable to do that, he's given us... Um, the the different techniques that can bring about you know in virtual fertilization um, to bring about life, but still ultimately we can't force it. God is the one who who brings that life. God is the one who owns that life. Um, you know we're reminded in in Psalm one thirty nine about you know I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You you uh, formed me together in my mother's womb. God is a part of all of that from the beginning. And I think, too, I, I didn't catch this on the day, um, but as I was looking back through uh, some of the different uh, responses online, um, the president of the LCMS noted that the day that this happened was also the day that the church, you know, the church has a calendar that celebrates all sorts of saints and special people and that sort of thing um, that most people are completely unaware of. But that was the day uh, for the uh, for recognizing John the Baptist, and John the Baptist, as a baby, recognized as a, as a fetus recognized his savior, who was also a fetus. Um, I think that there was, you know, God's hand kind of at work in the timing of that decision to remind us of how God is at work there. That that uh. You know, unborn child recognized his unborn savior in the womb. Uh, you know, God. God values the life of the unborn. God chose to be an unborn fetus. So, uh, all this being said, what do we what do we do now as, as everyday disciples? What what is our response? What is our uh, responsibility in in this whole debate? In this whole situation we find ourselves in, knowing that it may or may not remain legal, um, depending on what state we find ourselves in and where that all goes. Um, there are still going to be people who 
want an abortion, uh, who may seek illegal or back alley ways to do that. Um, there's going to be people who want that who can't get it, and so then what? So, so what is our response here? How do we, how do we, as just everyday Christians, let alone as the church together, how do we handle that? I think we've talked a little bit about it already, but there is an increased need for um, helping mothers who are at risk in a number of different ways. Um, there are several ministries and nonprofits. Um, in our country, in our state, in our city of Grand Rapids that help teen moms, um, which I think is, uh, you know, a very, very vulnerable population of, of women. Um, I think of two ministries right off the bat um, that I have a big heart for. One is Young Lives, which is a ministry of Young Life, which is an outreach ministry that I have um, been involved in with for 10 years now. Wow, I am getting old. That <clears throat> I've been doing something for 10 years. And Young Lives... Um, is just a group of uh, people who care about young women who are either pregnant or who have had children as teenagers and how they are, um, despite what they might feel about themselves, how they are still fearfully and wonderfully made and loved by the God and creator of the universe um, and how he is still at work in their lives despite the things that have happened in their lives, either to them or that they have done, um, and how they just support these women and want to help them however they can with childcare and with resources and with food and meals. Um, and so Young Lives is a huge one that is, you know, one you can get involved in yourself. Um, the other one is Grace's Table, which is a Grand Rapids um, ministry organization who does the same thing or similar thing that Young Lives does, where it, it comes alongside young women who have had um, children when they are teenagers, and it provides them with support and with a community and with Bible studies and with meals. And they do such a great job of helping young women in our city. Um, and you can help either provide resources, finances, you can provide a meal for them um, and just get involved however you can, however you see fit, because there are a lot of ways that we can help um, people just in our, even in our communities. Um, how do we get involved with women who are pregnant yet can't support and sustain a family and they're trying to make that decision? How are we either being the church and, you know, walking alongside them? They're making a really tough decision and they are experiencing a number of emotions, but how are we then um, being the hands and feet of God and showing them that they do have a place, they do belong um, in the church and that we want to help them however we can? Do they feel like they have that option? Do they feel like the church is a welcoming place for them? Um, it is up to us to, to make sure they know that that is the case. Um, and how do we share the love and the hope of Jesus with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, people um, that we work with, people who either are experiencing this themselves or maybe have loved ones who are experiencing this or just on the other side of the spectrum of what we believe on the issue of abortion? How are we doing our best just to... Um, share what we believe and how we feel and why we, we believe what we do because of who God is and who he says each of us are as image bearers. Um, yeah, how are we showing people the love of Jesus um, just in our everyday lives, in every realm of, that we, we go into? I think that communication is just super important. Um, so just open lines of communication, um, helping families to be able to communicate openly within um, their doors um, within their families so that if um, a young girl is going through, um, you know, she gets pregnant and she doesn't know what to do about this, um, you know, are there places where she knows where she, she can go 
and just be honest and have somebody love her without an agenda, right? So um, even if in the end abortion is what she chooses, um, will she still know that she is loved by Jesus and will be forgiven by Jesus, um, you know, if she asks for it? And um, so I think it's important that, that yeah, we can resource them, but just to know that there are loving presence to come alongside and that their Savior is one of them that's going to come alongside and be with them and love them through whatever decision it is that they make um, because you don't, you don't want another me out there who thinks that suicide is going to be the only option because um, there's a lot of people that will love and support. And there's so many families out there who um, want children and they can't have them. And it's really important, I think, to talk about the option of adoption to um, young moms who are struggling with, you know, I can't raise this baby. I can't afford this. I can't do this. I want to go to college. I want to have a life. I want to whatever it is. Um, so, so many families that we know, even in our church, that have had to even go overseas for babies because there just aren't children here. And that's super expensive, too. So just helping them to know that there are other other avenues. I think we could do a better job, too, of just educating people on the variety of options um, and just ways that we could just make it easier. I think um, a great way to start just would be increased access to birth control. I know that's a kind of a tricky topic among um, some Christian families as well, because then are you promoting a lifestyle um, away from God's law and what God God calls us to do and what God asks us to wait until marriage. Um, besides adoption, I feel there's just an increased need for education of options. Um, first of all, I feel like there could be, I know as Christians, God's plan for our lives are to wait until marriage. And we're not just talking about Christians, but the world as a whole. That's not always uh, what happens. And I feel like there is increased access to birth control, even including some long acting options can really help. I know Sam, uh, his first year at Grand Valley, his very first day, he called me when he got home and he said, well, they passed out condoms and they taught us what a red solo cup was all about with wine and shots and all those other things. And as a mom whose kids went to a Christian school their whole life, that was kind of eye opening for me and a little scary. I know some people argue if you give condoms or birth control um, to teens or people that aren't married, um, that you're kind of condoning a non-Christian lifestyle. Um, but today we're talking about abortion and ways to prevent that. And everyone's situation is different with that. I kind of have an interesting thought on health insurance and if we actually included the cost of contraceptives. Um, everything is very expensive. We talk about inflation and the cost of everything in stores. And um, could we include contraceptives and preventative ways to pregnancy in health insurance and other ways? Um, and then just just a general increase of sexual education. And I know that people think that's talked about in schools, um, not necessarily just talking about <laughs> uh, what kids learn, but even at a church level, too. I know Stephanie's led um, different events. I know parents are struggling, like, help me talk to our child about this. Help me talk to our teen about this. 
um, you know, what could we as a church do too? to a, we just talked about that today. We're, we're even scared to talk about abortion. We have fear of talking about what we really feel about some of these things. How is we as a church body, can we have more events? Can we have more times in our parent classes and our Bible studies on the pulpit, uh, talking about these very important matters? Our children are listening. Our parents are listening. Our people are listening. Society is listening. Um, we can talk about God's law and then, you know, we can, um, just help people walk through that as well. And I think, you know, it all boils down to for, for us, wherever we are, whatever, um, path we find ourselves in, in life of just needing more compassion and understanding, um, being willing to listen, being willing to love, um, being willing to, to sit with someone who is, you know, wants to make a different decision than what we think is right, but to, to still, care for that person. Um, I, I saw a, uh, a pastor friend of mine posted on Facebook the day of the, uh, the reversal of the decision. I really liked his words that he had here of where he said, you know, like our, the real work begins now for us as Christians. This is not a day to celebrate. This is a day to get to work. Um, and he, he kind of lay, laid out kind of three things that we need to do. We've already mentioned a couple of them about opening our homes to children who need to be adopted, supporting women who would have terminated but now can't and they're not ready for what that all means. Um, he even says, you know, give an overabundance of support to the women who are not pregnant by their own choices, but by the unwanted violation of their bodies, because there's no Band-Aid or quick fix for the trauma of what they've gone through in the nine months of daily reminders. But I like that he said as well, uh, we value the life that will be born, that will be born, and we must equally uh, and generously support the life that bears it. And I think that's, that's a huge reminder for us, that it's not just about the unborn child, it's about the mom as well. And, and coming alongside of um, those moms, whatever decision they're wrestling with, and how do we support them? How do we you know, remember that pro-life is pro-all life, their life and the unborn child's life? Um, and how do we give our own lives sacrificially uh, to support that life? That's something I think we've got to wrestle with. I think that's great. I think Steph talked about forgiveness, too. And I think we've covered um, maybe a lot of the moms who might be struggling. We you know we say financially support them. Um, I know growing up in a Christian community my whole life, uh, a real struggle is for the good Christian girls who also get pregnant, who are also struggling like with this, um, feel like they can't talk to their parents. Things were supposed to go a certain way. They were supposed to accomplish this in life. I mean, that's a whole other area. Um, whereas again, as Christians, can we be welcoming? Can we be loving? Can we not be um, making them feel like that's the mistake of all mistakes? That's the sin of all sins. Um, and what Steph said too, God loves you no matter what. God can forgive you. So I think there's two different kinds of realms of people who are struggling with those decisions. And it's not always the person who's economically challenged. And I think all four of us around the table here would say that if this is something you're struggling with, or if you, you know, maybe this is a part of your past and you're struggling with the guilt from that, uh, talk to us. We, we want to help you know that Jesus loves you, that, that God is here for you and, and doesn't hold that against you. Um, he forgives you just like he forgives all of us. And so if, if that's something that you're wrestling with, whether, whether you're a part of St. Matthew or you're listening from across the world, um, you know, certainly reach out to us. We would be happy to talk. 
Well, thanks everybody for this conversation. I know this you know isn't an easy topic to talk about. Uh, it's certainly not you know one of the kind of fun things that we like to talk about on this podcast. But I think it is something that's important for us as everyday disciples. This is a this is an aspect of discipleship: how we respond to this sort of thing going on in our culture today. Um, certainly, it's an area that we all can pray about, think about, uh, be in God's word about, and seek to follow Jesus in all that we do. Thanks for listening to Everyday Disciples. Everyday Disciples is part of the online ministry of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids. We're striving to be followers of Jesus wherever we are, and we hope you'll join us on that journey. If you found this podcast helpful in your spiritual journey, we'd be honored if you would rate us and review us wherever you listen. It helps people find us and get the good news about Jesus out there to the world. If you've got questions or suggestions for things that you'd like to hear about on Everyday Disciples, let us know with an email to media at stmatthewgr.com.